0: Every week, we do a QA with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we talk with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. Today, we're taking a little bit of a right turn. This is not necessarily a guy who has a disability, but a person who worked with a lot of people with disabilities. Curtis Gunn was the guy who got me into the 50 most beautiful people in the world in People Magazine. Uh, He also started a company called the Shot Modeling Agency. We were just talking before. It might've been a little bit ahead of its time. It was looking to change the paradigm of what was beautiful by working with disabled athletes In print, in film, in commercials. Curtis, welcome. Chris, good to see you again. It is always a pleasure. How did this come about? Was it the Paralympics in 1996 that sort of sparked your interest to say, hey, I've seen a little bit? Because we weren't on television a whole lot in 1996 either. But there was a little bit. Was that some of what you saw that said, I think that this could be a way? to empower a part of the population, to change what we think is beautiful? What, how did it all come about for you? Really
1: nothing to do with Paralympics. I saw a commercial and I think it was a Sears commercial and there was a person in a wheelchair and it just blew me away. I said, look at that. And then I said, wow, where am I gonna find this is an opportunity because I believe that I did my research that I found out that basically at that time, 7% of the population in the United States had some form of a disability. Okay. And from that right. point, I just felt that in the advertising world, whether you had a disability or not, we didn't have to show the disability, but if I could find some very handsome, good-looking men and women, who happened to have a disability this is my business because those people had families, associates, um, and, and the word could spread. And I uh, started looking around for people with disabilities and I couldn't find anybody. And I found this guy, Mitch, I think his last name, Mitch- um, Mitch Longley. Thank you, Mitch Longley. He yeah, in your he area, actually an actor. Right, he was in Connecticut where I am. And he actually had done a Ralph Lauren print commercial, not as a disabled man. Um, And that was the spark that lived for me. And then I started researching more and more to try to find men and women. And that's when the Paralympics came forth to me. And that's when I found a
0: lot of the people um, who ended up being in child management. Huh. So, so the Paralympics were actually kind of came later for you. How did you connect with them? Did you kind of connect with, because I believe it was U.S. Paralympics at that point right. uh, in Colorado Springs or who, who was it you connected with? I don't remember her
1: name. There was a young lady that I connected with in New York who had something to do with the organization. Um, and we got to talking, we had dinner one night. She loved the idea of the shop model management and um that's where we met you <laughs> and then from you we met other people um and obviously, I was looking for people that were really good looking, handsome men and women because this was in a certain way it was modeling it was modeling we wanted good looking people and I developed this philosophy that if you really look at a print ad today, you saw someone in the ad, you can't tell if they're disabled or not, they could be, they could be sitting on a chair, sitting on a bed, sitting in a car, sitting on a beach, who knows, they could be. And that's what I used to say is that my models could do either a disability modeling or they could do a regular modeling because they were all very good looking people. They could compete with the regular modeling agencies that were out there as far as beauty, which was the the measurement that bookers were looking for.
0: So it was beauty, but it was also a bit of depth of story. Like there might be a bit more, because I mean, you you could talk about like a newspaper insert or something like that, but if that person has a bit more of a story, you might get a bit more out of the advertising. If somebody hears about it, if there's, if there's some publicity around it, whatever. So with the 7%, which actually now, you're talking about 7% then, but at the time, or now US Paraly- or uh, the International Paralympic Committee is, is saying, we the 15, right? 15%, 1.2 billion people, in the world that is their comp- campaign and and exactly the same thing you're talking about is that there are people who are in the community but at the same time they have friends they have family they have you know whatever classmates these kinds of things that might affect what's going on commercially how hard to sell was it for you exactly what you're saying is the point was
1: is that my feeling was that showing a disability um, with, on an advertising basis, you know, sex sells, all kinds of things sells. And my feeling was is that a disability, showing a, a disability in a beautiful commercial or a print ad or a film ad or what have you, brought a microscope onto that advertiser, uh, a different side of that advertiser. But it showed that they had a different aspect about life, about products, about about things in life. How difficult it was!
0: Very difficult. You you are asking them to take a risk to a certain extent, right? I mean, sometimes it seems like in sales and marketing, it's easy enough to do what everybody else has already done. And you're saying, "Hey, we can revolutionize this. We can change. We can change the world. You can you can put yourself on the map as the most progressive company out there." which sounds like an easy sell, but at the same time, there's a lot of trepidation for a lot of people. Did you, did you feel like at any point that you kind of got a bit of a breakthrough?
1: Um, it was selling, selling, selling without any real result. It was, it, a part of it was, Chris, was, um, located in New York City. And most of the photographers in Manhattan live in and work in lofts. Most of the lofts in the Lower East Side did not have elevators. So it was difficult. You might remember we once had to carry you up four flight stairs um, to get you to the studio. And that was part and parcel of the problems that I found that people just, its 25 years ago, people couldn't, understand it um, and such. Nordstrom's stepped up to the plate. They understood it. This was a good thing to do. And hand in hand, the Paralympics was getting bigger and bigger. Every year it became more um, mainstream. People never saw the Paralympics on
0: television. No, I mean, even as recently as as 2012, I think we had three or four hours of television for the Paralympics in in London in 2012 and by 2014 by Sochi I think it was I think it was 72 hours and and it's now in the thousands it was over 1200 hours this past year so it's continued to grow but it's it's the challenge that you were up against that is like hey this is a great idea but how do we make it happen and what was, what was your strategy as far as making it happen? Because in a lot of ways it's kind of played out now or is playing out.
1: I ran after every publication I could find. New York Times, Chicago Tribune, um, Hollywood Reporter. Um, we had our 15 minutes of fame on um, Entertainment Tonight. Uh, you might recall we did that photo shoot. I had to pay, I had to pay for it. <laughs> okay, I had to pay for the studio, the photographer, the, the bagels, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, you guys are there, we'll come and we'll come, we'll come, you know, we'll come to a photo shoot, you No, know, I had to create the whole photo shoot and the whole excitement, and then invite the Hollywood Reporter, the LA Times, and entertainment obviously came, and that was the purpose of it, to, uh, to do that. Um, Do you remember once we were on the the rooftop of the Peninsular Hotel in New York? It was very, very cold. And Mm -hmm. we had the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal to come up and interview us. Um, So I had to create, I guess like a lot of people do, I had to create situations to bring the press to. Um, And then I created uh, this book. Yeah. um, Which we sent out to eight, nine hundred Advertising and and department stores and anybody that we could think of that um, might open the book and spend some time looking at it. And in the book was obviously the photos of all the people. And let's find the famous Chris Waddell photo here. I might look a little
2: bit different
0: for the audience right now. You guys will recognize him immediately.
2: <laughs> ah yes. This was the look um, that we were going for. Another famous Waddell shot. There you go, yeah. I remember you were so, so against doing this. You were were so against
0: it.
1: (laughs) You pushed back very hard on this.
0: Did I push back hard on it? I don't remember that. I feel like I was, I was a willing participant. Uh, well, you wore up until into, up into the makeup. You were, that's when the, the whole thing. Up until the makeup with, the, uh, with the, the mask. They painted a mask on me. And so it was sort of a, a Zorro-esque kind of look. And, it... and then we
1: created a 15-minute a, a video. I brought a videographer in. And we created another photo shoot. And we filmed all the models being photographed. And that was part and parcel of this that went out to all these advertising companies and booking agents and casting agents, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. Um, when we were out shooting that entertainment piece in Los Angeles, um, I decided that I would also start knocking on doors at Hollywood Studios. And uh, that was hard to do, to just get in the front door um, but people were interested because they had never heard of this concept of disabled modeling. It was, people were astonished by it. And I got some very, very good feedback, uh, but nothing,
0: nothing, but no jobs. What was, because part of it, you said that your models could be, you know, could compete with the regular modeling houses. So you could, you could have somebody with a disability or you might not show it. You could do, a glasses commercial and hey, if I'm doing a glasses commercial or an advertisement, it doesn't really matter that I'm sitting in a wheelchair. But what about the other, what was that part of the pitch? Was that, that here are people who, who happen to have disabilities, who happen to be attractive, or that the disability helps make them more attractive and possibly more appealing, to the consumers?
1: I used to say that my models go both ways.
2: <laughs> In
1: today's world, that's a whole different connotation, but that's what, that was part of my pitch. And meaning that you could model as a disabled person or a non-disabled person. To do an eyeglass commercial, you were good enough, handsome enough, pretty enough to do that commercial um, and the fact that, if it ever came out that you were disabled somehow, some way, that would actually add a little more pizzazz to that company's um, image that they're using models that have a disability. And that was my that was really my my idea, my pitch, my pitch, my pitch. Um, and I think 25 years ago, it was so radical that people just couldn't wrap their heads around it. Whereas well, as you see today, as we were talking earlier, um, a lot of commercials today are using uh, Paralympian athletes and even non-athletes are showing up on print and in commercial ads, in television and in film, Netflix films, uh, series films. Uh, you'll see it all the time now. And it's like, oh, it's, you don't even, I sometimes watch, I think it's a fun show. There's a problem called Moms. Um, It's a sitcom kind of thing. And this is a mother and daughter, they're both out recovering alcoholics um, and the problems they get into. But the mom is dating a guy who's in a wheelchair and his whole time on screen is in a wheelchair. And he's a well-known actor. You've seen him as a character actor a hundred times. But this is a main character in a current today television show. 25 years ago, that wouldn't have happened.
0: It, and and you know what and I don't know the answer to this and I probably should is he an able-bodied guy playing a guy in a wheelchair or is he he is not disabled he's not he's not, right. he's
1: not he's an able guy you have seen him in television like if I took the phone I could google the guy but it's the TV show is called moms
0: right yeah no I've seen the show and 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 I should have gone and and searched it out and said figure out whether that guy actually was because there was there was another guy who was, who was a, who was a comic actor. uh, And and I can't remember his name, who was in a, in a car accident, who ended up coming back and then having, you know, had been on sitcoms and then came back and, and was on sitcoms afterwards. And that's, that's one of the dilemmas too, right? I mean, that's like the, the Tom Cruise born on the 4th of July kind of thing. Like You need the actor to bring in the audience. Correct. And you know, and it's so so that that sometimes is the challenge. How did the People Magazine thing come about? Because I would imagine People Magazine has to be like that's the that's the vehicle that could potentially change the change the narrative for the company. Well, this went to People
1: Magazine, as it did to a lot of publications, and I got a telephone call from them that uh, they were doing the 50 most beautiful people. I think it was 1997, 98. It was 98, yeah. You we were in Japan, if I recall. We were competing Carolina in Nagano. Yep. And they said to me, we want this guy, Chris Waddell, and we, he's been nominated as 50, one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world. I said, wow, this is gonna open doors. We wanna do a photo shoot like in two weeks, where is he? He's in Japan. <laughs> Uh, And she goes, no problem. Um, Can he fly to Hawaii? We'll have our photographer go to Hawaii. And we made the marriage of you going, I don't don't remember your side of the story, but
0: somehow you ended, you did get to Hawaii and you did the shoot. I, I got to Hawaii, I did the shoot. We as a team were actually spending two and a half days in Hawaii on the way home from Japan. So we competed in Nagano, and then we had nationals after the Paralympics, which were at Mount Bachelor in Oregon. And I, prior to going to Japan, had been in Vermont. And that's when you had called me. And, and I have to say, Curtis, that you called me and you said, Hey, People magazine is in is in for this. And and I know how hard you were selling. I know how hard it was. And and I didn't believe you. I, I, I thought this was Part of the selling that you were you were selling me you're like hey people magazine is in and i was like oh curtis you know like whatever gets you to sleep at night this is good like let's believe that people magazine and then you called me back a day or two later and said we need to schedule a shoot and i said for what what do we need to see? and you said people magazine 50 most beautiful people and i was like oh you mean that was real but weren't you trying to get an article written on the on the agency as well right well, obviously, I was looking to play off
1: your photograph, your notoriety, your, your, the concept of you're a beautiful man who has a disability, which is the, the whole thing about the modeling agency, and that was part and parcel of what I was trying to
0: promote through People Magazine. What appealed to them? Because People Magazine, I mean, the 50 Most Beautiful People, it is... It, it, it is beautiful people, right?
1: But at the same time- I think, they, I think they got it. I think they understood what I was trying to say, that you can be beautiful with a disability, okay? And that you could present yourself. I don't remember in the photograph, what the photograph looked like in people.
0: Photograph, it was, it was just the top of my chair so it was really sort of from the waist up, really. And there they was a hint the chair? of the that? I was in my chair, okay. And so there was a hint of, hint of of the wheels in my chair, and and you know, I mean, the the funny part about this is that you know they outfitted me, right? They, I got all sorts of all sorts of like three hundred dollars shirts and this and that. Excuse me, did you go home with those shirts? No, no, I didn't go home with those <laughs> shirts. No, no, no. This is they were they were tucking the uh, tucking the receipts in the in the back, right, and bring them back afterwards, and I think it was like a ten dollar t shirt that was what I ended up wearing in the in the magazine. So so I had a you know just a white t shirt probably you know from from Sears or from you know whatever. I I can't remember
1: the lady's name. I'm, I'm at that point in my age. Road faces I'm great at, but names are starting to evade. Um, she was very excited about you in this issue, the fact that you did have a disability and that People Magazine was stepping out of, so to speak, the norm of what they do, of having nothing but normal people and people that have no disabilities, pretty men, pretty women. And I think for them, I think it was a huge step for them. And I thought that they were looking for some Payback, so to speak, advertising wise and such by showing a a man who was good looking, who can compete as with the other 49 other people in that magazine issue. But this person happens to be in a wheelchair.
0: It's, you know, I I feel like I had the second cover in that I had a, the, the page that I was on, there was a perfume insert that was uh, that was that was right in there so if you drop the magazine right it would open to my page so leonardo dicaprio was on the cover this is back in the titanic right this was this was 1998 when titanic was so huge he was on the cover but if you drop the magazine it would open to my page because of that perfume insert now,
1: i don't know i used to have a copy of um that people magazine issue right? I was looking for it before we got together today. I don't know what the heck happened to it. Uh,
0: I am trying to see if I can find it as well. Uh, but but anyway, so so it's kind of a funny thing. I mean, it sounds like because I mean there were there were any any number of athletes that they could have chosen, and then they happened to choose me. And part of it is part of it is probably just just the story, the athlete story, whatever. But mm-hmm. but it was
1: no no you had. You had a, you had no, I disagree. I think by that time in your career, you were a rising star within the Paralympic community. You were a world champion numerous times. Um, and um, your photograph had been seen uh, within that arena. And you're a good looking guy. And I think it just, it worked for them. And for me, I thought, I thought this was going to be the key. I thought this People Magazine thing was going to blow the doors off. And we were finally going to get some people calling me up and say, oh, this guy Waddell, we'd like to use him," Or do you have any other models that, and so forth and so on. And I really thought that that was going to be the, the, the door opener.
0: And it took a while. I mean, it's still... Because how long did the did the agency go? It started in ninety seven three years, three years. So through two thousand. And there were a fair number of them. we did some modeling. I and mean, it was kind of interesting just in terms of how how some things were happening sort of concurrently as well. Like we media was coming out, and we were doing a lot of work with them. And they had this beautiful magazine with great uh, great paper stock and and they did a bunch of modeling inserts with it. And, and that looked great, but it was a, you know, they, they were before their time to a certain extent as well, right? Yeah, I thing think you brought that up because I really forgot about media
1: Yes, uh, they were very uh, much on board. They were very tied into the Olympics.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they covered the games in, in
2: Sydney in 2000. And um, they were trying to get over the same hurdles that we were trying to get over.
0: What was it like for you to watch? Whether you watched the Olympics or the, because I mean, really, the first place I saw major a major advertiser using a Paralympic athlete was, was actually in the Olympics. So I think it, I think it was BP that was the first one. They were working with Tatiana McFadden and they showed it during the Olympics. What about the the Coke or Pepsi commercials that you did? Sorry? Didn't you do Pepsi or? No, no, I didn't do Pepsi or Coke or anything like that. Chevy? Chevy did a commercial. So when we were on the ski team, Chevy did a commercial with us. And when would that have been, that actually preceded the shot I believe I think that that was 90 think that that was 95 like the fall of 95 that we did that with with Chevy and and they had the what was the U.S. disabled ski team at that time and and we were there with the aerialists and and funny stuff too right in that we would we had the early call time and we had a bunch of single amputees so above the knee amputees and when they get up first thing in the morning, they don't put their leg on. They they hop around like they hop to the bathroom or whatever. And so the other guys who had a later call time were awakened at the same time because these guys are hopping across the floor and waking them up. So yeah, we did we did do Chevy that that was with the ski team with the U.S. Ski team. They were a big sponsor there. But really, for me, I feel like I feel like I didn't see it other than that in. in In such a mainstream kind of way, until hmm, I'm trying to think of when that might be. That might have that might have really been like 2012, that we've started to see more of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee sponsors. BP originally, Toyota's obviously been been huge. Uh, There've been a variety of others as well. But what was it like for you to see kind of that mainstream? Dream or to see even like a Jessica Long this past year who had a Super Bowl commercial.
1: Well, at that time, I also thought that this was great. This was going to open up some doors for us. When I went to talk to them, their attitude was well, we're, we're already connected with. U.S. Paralympics, and we have connections with all these people, and we can go directly to them, uh, so why should we go through you and pay you an agency fee um, when I don't have to pay an agency fee? And that was one of the issues that we ran into, and those those individuals that were in those types of commercials got paid, I'm assuming, something but there was that 20% uh, that belonged to me never came to me. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we threw, you know, I threw threw a lot of money into this and there was uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars that went into this and- um,
0: What was your background, Curtis, that allowed you to take this leap of faith that you could make this happen?
1: I came out of college and with a film degree, and I couldn't get a job in film. I just couldn't get it. I was on the Johnny Carson Show as a page. And then a guy that I went to college with- What's your um, responsibility
0: as a page? What does a page do? uh,
1: There were a lot of responsibilities. Um, On the Carson Show, there were three places. You worked the audience, you worked uh, backstage with, uh, with the guests, you know get in then coffee sandwiches whatever whatever and then you worked outside the green room um in that
0: regard um, and worked what does that mean working outside the green room basically it was kind of it, it was almost like a. I mean it's not like security we have today but it was like
1: security okay when no one came into the green room and so forth and so on um it was a fun job you got six months to find a job within the industry um <laughs> And we had uniforms, even to this day, I have my page jacket that I stole, my NPC page jacket has my name on it. But you had to have your hair short and everything. And I got a, an, I, I interviewed for an, an associate producer on TV show Concentration. And 30, 40 people interviewed, it was me and another guy. And the producer says to me, let me ask you a question. Would you cut your hair if I asked you, if I made you cut your hair? And I said, what does that have to do? Um, I just interviewed with 30 guys. I, um, here I am, I, I, you, you got me here, not because of my hair. And he goes, great, wrong answer. And I didn't get the job. Um, and then I started working for a t-shirt company that did rock and roll, not rock gorgeous, rhinestones and, and, and all kinds of beautiful stuff that was sold in Bond with Taylor um, and such. And um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, came up to the warehouse on Broadway and I ran their production how I learned production it was a, a quick learn but I picked it up very quickly um, and they wanted to do sweatshirts and these guys said
2: man nah, nah, man. Nah.
1: as they're walking to the elevator I went pss, 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 pss. and I did these 50 sh- I did these 50 dozen sweatshirts. I convinced the printer and the guys down on Orchard Street to front me all this stuff. And I, I, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, made, basically. And I started with my partner from college because he was working for another shirt company. We, I borrowed t-shirts from a girl from college that worked at Arista Re- Re- uh, Records. His wife's sister worked at Columbia Records. I said, get me an appointment at Columbia Records. We're going to st- we're going on the t-shirt business what are you talking about I said, just get me an appointment and i went up there and i said i made the t i made all these t-shirts and i you know I lied and i walked out with a ten thousand dollar order and i said I'm in the t-shirt business <laughs> and i guess it was my I, i've always had this entrepreneurial that nothing can stop me once i get rolling and it became a pretty big t-shirt rock and roll tour merchandising company um in the end, we're the group that actually put Michael Jackson and Pepsi-Cola because we were doing the Pepsi-Cola t-shirts here in White Plains uh, when he caught his hair on fire. We were the ones that made that marriage. Um, but because of the nature of that business, I had started a family. I bought a house. I realized that um, this was not going in the right direction without going into any details. And I quit that, and I took a job. to didn't know what I was doing, selling second mortgages, and I ended up in the mortgage business for 26 years as a mortgage banker. Because, Before you got into the shot. No, it was, it was 1981, 82 that I got in the mortgage business. And I left the business in 97 because I saw that commercial. And I said to my wife, I've got this amazing idea. And she looked at me and she said, well, if you think you can do it, do it, go for it. <clears throat> and I just quit my job. And I went head
0: first, right into it. And oh. this is back to your roots, back to your entrepreneurial roots of like trying to talking your way into one place or another and convincing somebody. Uh, is that part of what was attractive to you as well? Is that it was a hard sell?
1: It was, it appealed to my creativity. And I met this guy who was a model booker for a modeling agency in Manhattan. Kevin Jones, sweet guy, um, six foot eight dreadlocks, very imposing man, (laughs) uh, but the sweetest guy in the world. And I approached him and talked to him and he became my mentor. And I would sit with him once a week and tell him about my problems, about trying to get this off the ground. And he was really very, very instrumental in a lot of the direction that I went because Kevin was in that business as a booking agent
0: um yeah and so what kind of stuff would you say to him like what what was he teaching you strangely enough
2: it was fashion
1: do you understand what a print ad really looks like do you know what the photographer is looking for do you know what the agency is looking for and we would he would bring like six or eight high fashion magazines, European Vogues or whatever. And we would sit there having lunch and going through the pages and talking about what made that photograph, what it made, what, what made that photograph, that photograph. And how do your models, how do you see your models fitting into that photograph um, and things like that. And, and it was that kind of an education to, to train my eye to understand print ad, because he was a print guy. Um, and that's what, that's what that did. And, and, and certainly the problems that I would run into, uh, I had a partner
2: that was not an honest guy and I had, a, had an issue with that, um, who you met. Um, yeah, and that's what Kevin did for me. He showed me really what how tough
1: this business was. And it just gave me more reasons to go out there and bang on doors. But I, I, I learned how to bang on doors, what to say
0: better when I banged on the door. I knew. So you learned the business really top to bottom, the modeling business. You had this idea of, okay, we're going to change it. But you had to learn the whole business. In the first order to the months I had no
1: idea what I was doing.
0: I really had no. I just had this crazy idea.
1: I found these models. I found these people. Um, and I just... Just kept throwing cash, printing the books, uh, you know, getting, you know, printing. These are called agency books. These are what goes to the booking agents. Every model has one of these with their photographs in them. Um, And those are
0: leather. I mean, those have to be expensive. I I might have
1: told you they were leather, but they feel like
0: leather. Okay, they're not leather.
1: (laughs) Um, I didn't know what those books were. I had to find, you know, I had to find the guy to give me. Normally these agencies print 150 at a time. I only needed 30. I had to convince these people to just do me a favor and give me print 30 of these. It was always, I would get up in the morning, get on that train in Westport, get down to the city, down to uh, my office on Park. Was it Park or Fifth? Park Avenue. I had a nice address. That's a
0: great address.
1: It was a great address, 100 Park Avenue. yeah, it was, but I loved it. I, I loved it because it was a challenge. Every day was a challenge. And there were days I'd get on the train, and I'd say, what am I doing? I'm banging my head against the wall here. But I'd get up the next morning and get on that train and do it again. Um, just every once in a while, I, I would get a spark. I would get, get a, someone would pick up the phone and want to talk to me about the agency. Um, and it was great, it was great and i met people like you and i met all kinds of wonderful wonderful people it was it was an education i mean i've had you to my home you've slept here
2: um i remember once going out for dinner in in fairfield we're at some burger place and um the two waitresses just didn't leave you alone
1: (laughs) <laughs> um, it, you know, and I, 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 because obviously that's why you were in the 50 most beautiful people because, because of your looks and, and whatever. That's what the beautiful people were all about. I'm sorry to be very uh, um, simplistic about it. Um, but it was, you know, and I, when Mitch, Mitch yeah. he got that job and he was a recurring actor, character in that television show Vegas.
0: Uh, Vegas, he was in Port Charles as well, so the soap opera. Oh, right, 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 correct. I forgot about that. Yeah. From,
1: he rebound from Port Charles to Vegas with James Conn.
0: Oh, really? Okay, I did not know that. No, that, that ran for about three, four years or more.
1: It's actually on reruns now. Um, but yeah, and he was a recurring, he was the IT guy <sighs> that watched the video cameras on the Vegas floor and stuff like that but he was a regular character, figuring out all the problems and the bad guys. And, and I thought, geez, he's on a regular team. This is gonna open up doors. This is gonna open
0: up doors. Who did you need in some ways, you know? Because it's like, you had Kevin as the mentor, you had some of these people, you had the, the sort of dribs and drabs in some ways, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it, it's enough to keep you enthused. Like, okay. we're we're there, it's kind of like, it's like playing golf, right? It's, it's, you get that one great shot that, that brings you back the next time, but, but it doesn't happen as consistently as you'd like, or as you needed. Who did you think, or what company did you think could be, could be that catalyst to open it up? I mean, obviously we've talked about people magazine already and that, that could well have been it, but it didn't, it didn't quite, gain the momentum and that's, that's been a challenge. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's a challenge for me in my career as well. You know, I was an athlete, but I never really got paid to, to be an athlete. I got paid to speak. I got paid to, you know, by sponsors and those kinds of things. And, and it's always kind of like, you're almost in the door, but you're never quite completely in. Well, you know, if you look at what you've done, you've created
1: one revolution okay this whole educational thing within school systems uh very unique very out of the box and you were able to con to i don't want to say convince but you were able to educate educators to allow you to come in to educate students about disability and being different and still so So in a lot of ways, what you did with One Revolution is what I was trying to do with the shop. Trying to open doors and educate people to disability through beauty. Because I think a lot of people, when they would see someone with a disability, there was this uncomfortableness about themselves. I'm not sure if that I'm projecting what I sometimes felt as an individual. Um, and I think that the shot offered, in my mind, people to see people for who they were, people, and that and that they, they can do regular activities. They can drive a car. Um, I'll bet you there's a lot of people, even today, that don't understand how someone who's a paraplegic can drive a car.
0: No, no, I get asked the question all the time of like, how do you drive a car? And and, and the answer is pretty simple. It's, you know, I just have hand controls. So a lever that attaches to the gas and brake and comes off of the steering column at a 90 degree and down for gas forward for brake but it's yeah i mean i think i think you're talking about in a lot of ways what we're talking about with sport too is that that it's where do you make the connection when when you talk about disability oftentimes it's that's where you make the separation of like oh i don't want to i don't want to say something that's incorrect i don't want to insult anybody but the beauty, the sport is, is what's common, what's shared. And if we have something that's shared, then then we actually see the individual as opposed to seeing what the differences are. It's, I mean, and and I think that you were successful in that you were just you were just ahead of your time. When did you? What was it like at the end? Like when you decided, okay, we're going to shutter this place this is it. What, what was the emotional part? Did you, did you feel like you'd laid the groundwork? Did you feel like you'd failed? Did you feel like now all of a sudden you have to get grown up and go, go back and be a mortgage broker? Or How did, how did this all work? I
1: guess, and, and for me, is I realized that it was an uphill climb that I just couldn't continue doing. Financially, I couldn't keep throwing money on it's just, it was one of those things where I'd, I'd hit the point where um, I, knew I, had, I knew I had set a certain dollar amount aside. And um, when I hit that number, I said, Curtis, you can't continue doing this. You're hurting your family. You're hurting everybody. Um, I had kids going to college and so forth and so on. And it was, it was very heartbreaking for me to walk away um, you know, and, and put these books up in my attic. Um, and knowing that it was a failure. I knew that I tried. I knew that I tried. And then as years progressed and I would see, I remember when I went to Paramount Pictures, had a really good meeting with this guy and I knew he understood what I was trying to do, but I knew that he had huge hurdles to get over to sell my idea to the people that he had to convince, um, and I walked out of that meeting and I said, and I really realized then how difficult a challenge I had set for myself. Um, and then when time came to call it a day, I, I accepted the fact that I gave it my best shot, and, and that's that's and I gave it my best shot, and that's that's the bottom line. I gave it my best shot as much as I could do. And the name of the shot I came up with because when you take a picture, you're taking the shot. And I gave it my best shot and I have no regrets. I sometimes watch TV with Lori, and I go, fuck, look at that, look at that commercial. <laughs> I, said, I said, look at that. I said, and then I go, but that's fantastic. Look at that great commercial. I am so I'm ecstatic.
0: Well, how much pride of authorship do you take for things happening now? I mean, you were fighting that battle. You were educating people. You're trying to arm people so that then they would be ready to battle for you and for your people with the people above them, like this guy at Paramount. How much pride of authorship are you allowed to have?
1: I have sat in front of the television or opened up a newspaper or a magazine and I'll say to myself, that picture would not be here if it weren't for me. I really do. I really believe that there's a subconscious undertone of people that got a taste of what we were trying to do today
0: oh yeah and and part of it is what you were trying to do but it's also what you did so so it you know success in a lot of ways was always right around the corner it's like oh if we just get around the corner that's that's the one that's where we'll get to the success but doing the books doing the pamphlet doing the video it's the whole it's the whole, you had to build it before anybody could ever even imagine it. You had to be the one who could imagine it, but then you had to make it real before. And so you're taking all those steps and and then other people are obviously profiting off of, off of the work that you have done. But it's is that what kept you going? That idea of it's just around the corner. Like we've done all of this work and the breakthrough is going to be there. Definitely, definitely.
1: You know, one of our models was Heather Whitestone,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: who was deaf and she was Miss America. We had Miss America in our book. And I said, I always felt that the publicity of a disabled um, uh, Miss America, come on, how much more in your face do we have to show that people who are disabled can, and she danced, it was all timed out in her and, and I mean it was beautifully timed out but here was a woman who danced and she was deaf she couldn't hear the music but she danced I mean if that wasn't a reality to people that people who have disabilities do normal things and can do and be don't have as everything that you do in one revolution in a, in a certain
0: way is what I was trying to open the eyes to people. Think about that, too, right? I mean, it doesn't get any higher. I mean, the pinnacle of the mountain in a lot of ways is Miss America. Like, this is, this is the definition of what, of what is beautiful. And I agree with you 100% that we as human beings have an amazing ability to adapt. And we often don't utilize it until we're forced to adapt. And, and we see the power, the, the power of the human condition in a lot of ways, when we see somebody who has adapted, see somebody who can't hear, who can, who can dance because a lot of us who can hear cannot dance. And you know, that, that's something that's really very, very impressive. How captivating for you was this when, you know, cause you got into it with an idea and, and then you see people like Heather Whitestone and you go. Oh, I hadn't quite imagined that. It's, it's building your imagination as you're moving forward. How much did that happen for you? I, I, I go back to the simple fact,
1: Chris,
2: that I think people back then, not today, were uncomfortable with disability.
1: Okay, there was as you said earlier, to say the wrong word or, or say something that might be insulting or belittling. And I think people were, they're, they're, the fact that CODA won an Academy Award for best picture today, never would have happened back then. Never would have happened 10 years ago. I, I just think that there's been so much evolution. Um, and I think that's why I was, some people see disability, some people don't see disability. Some people see people for who they are and some people don't see people for who they are,
2: okay? Um, <laughs> I laugh, I think about this one story I had with you, um, where you were, you were at my house and you were coming in the kitchen for breakfast
1: and you had these slippers on that looked so fuck, so comfortable and I didn't even think about it. And I looked at you and I said, wow, those slippers, you're, you're sitting here in a wheelchair. And I'm looking at you and I go, wow, those slippers look great. How do those feel? And you said to me, Curtis, I can't feel my feet. <laughs> I like, oh, right. I mean, it, to me, I was beyond the disability. I didn't see the disability. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm trying to say here? Right. I didn't, I didn't see your disability. I saw you as a person. You happened to be sitting in a wheelchair, but, I didn't really, I didn't see the disability. And that's, I guess that was what I was trying to to show here that these men and women were normal people that just happened to have this little thing called a disability, but they can do anything. You were a Paralympian, you went down mountains flying, all these other Paralympic athletes set records of speed and endurance and so forth. Heather Weinstein, Weinstein, Heather is dancing to music that you can't hear. These are people that that went above and beyond their disabilities to be regular people. And I was trying to show that our models were regular people and they could model as a disabled person or as a non-disabled person because they had the, the beauty and the character of who they were. It wasn't defined by the disability. They just happened to have that disability, which I thought for an advertiser was an extra boost to promote their product, to show their goodwill as a as a, as a manufacturer of whatever they were manufacturing.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And how much of it is how much of it is sort of the outlier? I mean, you talked about like Mitch Longley, who's who's had some character roles in in, in television, uh, Marley Matlin was the one that I was thinking about earlier. Chil- children of the Lesser God, I think I said Children of the Corn and I was completely wrong in that. But, and then, you know, she was in the West Wing, she was on a variety of different things. And, and in some ways it's an outlier, but, but in a lot of ways, what you were looking for is one, the outlier, but two, to bring the whole group along. And right. how much does that outlier, how much does that group then affect the way that you see society in general, right? So it's, so we're talking specifically about disability. We want to see, want people to see beyond the disability to see the individual, but I mean, there's so many other parts of marginalization, right? I mean, it's, we've got sex and age and and race and and all of these things, right? And how, how do we get beyond that to see the individual? How much of, of it, is, is one outlier versus a, a group of people that, it, that can affect a greater change that way, not just to, in, in the specific sense, but in the sense of like, in the sense, in the total sense. That was the purpose of shot model management. Yeah.
1: That was, that's exactly what I was trying to do in a nutshell. I mean, as simple as that may sound, what you were saying is exactly what I was trying to promote, trying to show. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it any other way. I mean, um, you, you, we see today all these changes about um, sexism and and all, all the things that we're experiencing today in this world. Um, I, I don't know how else to explain it. I really don't.
2: Do
0: you, do you see it? particularly well i mean is is this part of what you were bringing to the shop modeling agency was was your ability to see the individual beyond whatever category that person happened to be in that's that's where you figure where where you're you know because i mean if you're starting a business right what is the thing that makes you unique why should you be here was that the thing that meant this is why you're supposed to be here
1: my feeling was that these people that were in this book were no different than any other person you see in Vogue magazine or any magazine. They were there, as far as their physicality, as far as their beauty,
2: men and women. And if you did not know that this person was an amputee, you never
1: would have known. Right. You were looking at this person as an individual. And then if all of a sudden you said, holy, this person's an amputee, wow, how's that possible? They would be like, how's that possible? Because it is possible
2: that the disability does not define the individual. And that's, I guess, part of
1: what I was trying to show, maybe subconsciously, but I was trying to show that the disability does not define the individual and maybe selfishly, okay, I was trying to use the disability as a selling point right? to show people that this person has a disability. I got it. But just think about what that would do for you and your advertising as your audience said, holy smokes, this guy's in a wheelchair. Really? He really doesn't walk? I mean, I mean I, I, to me, that was my selfish um, using disability to promote the business. Because that's what it was, shop model, the first modeling agency in the world that had disabled models. And we were the first in the world. Exclusively.
0: Exactly. Three years, you jumped in fully into the, into the job, put a lot of money into it. How were you changed after these three years? How did the, how did the experience change you? I've always considered myself a compassionate guy.
1: Um, I live in a small town. I've been in the volunteer fire department for 37 years. I've always given back to my community. I always give back. I've tried to teach my children that. And my, I think for me, what really, my two daughters were very affected by the shop model management. That they saw these people, not as disabled people, but as people. And um, that to me was one of the, biggest benefits the end result that my two daughters are I know are different today because of what they saw their father go through working with people and meeting people and my daughters met you and I guess maybe for me the end result is all right so I spent a lot of money but I learned a lot my kids learned a lot my wife learned a lot we all learned about people and
0: human beings and um, and you're a greater member of your community, a larger community as a result. Possibly. Okay. <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. Well, I well not, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. Trust me. <laughs> no, no, no. Not saying that, but, but you're more connected with your community if your eyes open more and, and your kids have their eyes open more. I'm not
1: afraid to connect with somebody who may have a disability. I'm not afraid to approach somebody. Who I might see in a restaurant or something, and say, "Oh, don't talk to that person." I don't, I, I don't have that. I mean, I am, I don't have that. I don't have that fear or uncomfortable. I should, not fear being uncomfortable talking to somebody or whatever who may have gone through something that caused them to be a disabled person. Um, and I, I don't have to talk to that person about their disability. I'm only talking to them about
0: about them about whatever exactly about whatever matters to them about whatever matters to you but whatever you share in common because i'm so excited that you we've known each other for 25 years and i've seen you out in park
1: city utah we've gone out for dinner in new york whatever i don't think once it ever came up any discussion about disability (laughs) just two guys talking
0: right i mean and that's all it's ever been Exactly, exactly. There might have been some high points. There might have been some lower points in the in the conversation. We're not saying that we have the most erudite conversations, but, you know, it was it was always fun. And and it was about the connection between us and not about the not about the disconnect, really. But I, I thank you for taking the risk to make this happen, to run with an idea, to have seen an image and say, there's there's an opportunity there and and that to me is is really cool and if i've learned anything from from working with you that's exactly what i've taken is this idea of hey it might be uphill it might be really difficult but if you have a good idea it's worth fighting for and thank you for educating me in that way well i have only the highest respects about you um
1: you're my favorite People magazine, most beautiful person in the world. Person, <laughs> um, but I have learned so. I have learned so much about humanity from you and what you have done, and your one revolution. I mean, I sat through that once in. I think it was in Fairfield. Yeah, at one of your presentations, and I was. I came home mesmerized. I was. I was like blown away by it it really was. Um, And for that, I I applaud you. I I have utmost respect
0: for you. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And, and, you know, I, as you know, none of us do this alone. And, and so this is, this is always the hope that we keep, that we keep moving forward and we keep getting better as individuals as well. So, Curtis, thanks so much for joining us. I realize you, you you went above and beyond. You 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 had about a vertigo to get today, and still joined us and made it happen. So I really appreciate you. This this is just who you are, though, right? I, I,
1: whatever. I hope I can stand up and not fall down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um,
1: thanks for the time, and thanks for um, allowing me to talk about something that was very close and dear to my heart.
0: Yep, and, and you touched a lot of people and you touched probably way more people than than you imagined with the Shop Modeling Agency. I think it, it was something that really was important. So thank you for doing that. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. We hope that you've enjoyed this. As I always say, if you have enjoyed it, tell your friends, tell your family, please like us, please follow us. This will come as a, a traditional podcast. And please, uh, please check it out as a traditional podcast. And please tell your friends, tell your family. We'll see you next time. Thanks a ton.